today I will talk about a very interesting topic that um, I've been thinking about lately. Um, it's a very uh, complicated topic uh, concerning the recent uh, adaptation and um, let's call it uh, falling in love with uh, French philosophy. Um, not all French philosophy, to be specific, uh, deconstructionist philosophy, philosophy coming from people like Jacques Derrida and um, people who followed in his footsteps, uh, starting from, let's say they did not follow in his footsteps, but they made way for his impact, people like Heidegger and Michel Foucault. Uh, Michel Foucault and, and Heidegger uh, were part of the philosophers who decided to attack essence, to attack the absolute, um, and to take a stab at old classic logic, uh, thereby taking it apart and not making it work anymore, and calling it the epitome of, let's say, totalitarianism, patriarchy, and um, falsehood, really. Uh, what happened is that, well, with Heidegger, um, we see a very fierce attack on essence. Why is that? By moving our attention away from the dialectic relationship between the predicate and the subject um, uh, that Hegel talked about, which of course Hegel started by doing in, in, in his attack on logic. Um, let's go back to that for a second and see what Hegel did. Um, of course, in logic, um, there's always this almost mathematical kind of way of looking at an argument and and it and it and it and it has to do with the subject and the predicate and some details that I don't want to go into um, concerning the subject and the predicate. Uh, what Hegel saw was that there was always a movement from the subject to the predicate and that not necessarily the truth of an argument has to come from what is in the subject and the predicate, but what is in their movement or the movement itself you know and that's the dialecticism uh, that dialect that that movement between those opposites that movement between those um, uh, forces is what uh, we should be concerned about uh, and and in that movement uh, a synthesis arises from the uh, let's call it um, uh, dialectical uh, give and take between uh, two extremes etc uh, and that uh, uh, I'm driving on the road sorry um, anyways so this is this is what uh, came about with Hegel and then um, uh, of course uh, Heidegger is, uh, was uh, very existential and his concern was being being itself, uh, the being of the subject and the predicate, not the dialectical movement, not any of this 
crap um, Heidegger cared about being and the question of being not no more essence no more absolutes um, the very thing we care about is being and the question of being uh, therefore he had an attack on philosophy he did not uh, this is also in the footsteps of um, Nietzsche um, attacking philosophy and going back to the pre-Socratic philosophers that did not believe in truth a capital T truth that only cared about um, the very forces of the universe the existential forces of the universe and their um, relationships um, and uh, of course we know who those uh, philosophers were uh, I think one of them is Thales 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 uh, we say in Arabic Thales um, and Anaximander Anaximander uh, Anaximander was a philosopher pre-Socratic philosopher who uh, talked about uh, the four elements of nature and their kind of correspondence and the pre-socratics basically never believed in transcendence transcendence was not their domain transcendence uh, a unifying of understanding to reach one understanding to have a consensus about one eternal truth that for them was impossible pretty much god there was no one eternal god gods were separate each in their own dominion each taking care of their own dominion uh, and uh, therefore the god of justice the the god of love the god of rain the god of suffering you know and and these gods were never transcendent they were part of the universe and part of existence itself and Heidegger admired that for Heidegger saw that um, these people were interested in being the moment itself uh, that's why he wrote his book being in time um, they were within actuality they were not beyond man they were um, so so the so the divine was within nature itself um, of course they did Heidegger did not believe in the divine, but he enjoyed, let's let's call it the concreteness of this. The very, um, he would call it work being. Uh, of course, Heidegger enjoyed uh, putting together uh, words and creating words, and he made his own vocabulary to explain his ideas, uh, which can, which are very helpful sometimes. Like his fourfold idea about uh, God, man, nature, and something else I don't remember exactly but um, um, uh, going forward um, so Heidegger went back to the pre-Socratics and of course that was all to escape the idea of one eternal truth with a lot of writings about that about actualizing your existence through work through etc um, of course this attack eventually um, by taking apart power from the eternal and transcendental uh, we there was a movement happening towards structuralism and uh, structuralism uh, identified by um, Levi Strauss and um, uh, 
Michel Foucault was trying to understand power. Of course, since the transcendental and the truth in this kind of abstract transcendental form was eliminated, like that's why Nietzsche said God is dead, what happened is that now we have power in itself um, moving and taking control. There's no more truth, but power is the truth. It's only power and it's force and it's this um, element of existence that matters most. So that diverged the attention of these philosophers and they decided to understand institutions and how truth comes about through power relations within institutions. And um, that, of course, led uh, Foucault to say that truth is nothing but the what the institution says, what the most powerful institution says is truth. It's not really, and or what society calls truth. Um, it's not some objective uh, understanding, transcendental that we reach. It is always relative, and this is where relativism comes from. Um, and, and, uh, and with 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 this trend happening, uh, this was happening, of course, uh, beginning of the twentieth, uh, uh, mid twentieth century, uh, mid uh, yeah, mid twentieth century. Uh, twentieth, yeah, nineteen hundreds, yeah, mid twentieth century. This was the trend, and it was moving forward uh, until the sixties, and then, of course. Let's not forget, there were Marxist movements, Soviet Union was happening, Mao, all this um, left, all these leftists were pretty excited. They were, they got power and they believed that what they were saying is true, even though they said that truth is relative and that truth exists only by power and course we know where that leads to that means let me get a lot of power and forget about morality or whatever and acquire all that power to um, implement my truth because an absolute transcendental truth does not exist Um, and eventually uh, after what's Foucault um, made way for Jack Derrida came about and decided that um, all text, all text is meaningless. All text cannot and will not represent what the subject that wrote that book or text really means. And therefore, understanding is impossible. Why is that? Because the uh, amount of interpretations possible of a certain text is infinite. And of course, this was, quote-unquote, the final blow to religious texts. And we will see what happens after that. (coughs) Coming back now to the thing or the method that Foucault and eventually Derrida his post-structuralism or deconstructionism did after identifying 
this uh, power dynamic in relation to truth. Um, just as a simple example, um, what Foucault talked about was that what determines truth is power. So, for example, it's the teachers at school who will either punish you for making a mistake or not punish you for making a mistake in what they are teaching. Therefore, they are the ones that are controlling truth by this punishment. Or, And he wrote a book called uh, uh, something about punishment. Um, uh, forgot the name. Um, uh, yeah, I, I forgot the name, but... Um, uh, it was it was it was talking about the types of punishments that were inflicted through institutions on people from asylums to hospitals to schools and the way they did made those punishments happen in order to discipline society and to put society on a certain path and towards a certain truth uh, through power uh, and not through truth in itself uh, so, therefore, truth is relative. Uh, and then Derrida came and said, um, there is an abyss of interpretation because everything can be interpreted in a bit different way, uh, infinitely. And he said uh, something like the presentation of the representation, the representation of the representation, the presentation of the presentation, and the representation of the presentation. A lot of jargon, but that was what he was saying about how many ways a certain uh, sentence can be interpreted and he um, elaborated on that bringing about certain um, texts that are uh, we usually derive meaning from and he deconstructed them in this way um, using for example when you say I am going to the beach but if you say I am going and you put quotation marks that immediately creates a different kind of meaning for going and then if you and and, and going becomes untrue and it uh, refers some maybe to a footnote what do you mean by quote-unquote going do you mean he's going or he's not going you know or for, and, and even for example the uh, very saying going to the beach beach here is this uh, beach as in the physical real beach or is this an unliteral beach you know you're going to the beach, your mind's beach or it's um it's deconstructionism it's nihilistic it just tells you not to expect any kind of truth in any way because uh, or any kind of truthful understanding of one person so after uh, Derrida did this um, he made possible the return of sophistry why uh, as we said in the beginning sophistry entails the idea that um, truth is divided uh, onto particulars and therefore which is also structuralism if we if we take structuralism we understand that what Foucault is saying is that um, truth is divided into particular parts and therefore uh, each particular part believes it has true the, the real truth and uh, with that it is uh, governed by the dynamics of power it is not governed by consensus or ultimate understanding 
and there's no transcendence. So Derrida, with his deconstructionism, that was going towards nihilism and the complete annihilation of meaning, also made it so that there is no truth and that he of course did not say that every person has his own truth. He just said that just it's just not there, you know? Just words are just words. They're sounds, sign and signifier. Uh, and um, with that um, understanding is uh, relative, you know? These are just sounds that you hear and they're only determined by their opposite, you know? So also, we come back, it's a... Uh, dynamic it's a dynamical thing if a cat is just not a dog and a dog is just not a cat <laughs> that's one of the examples and that derrida used to use he said that it's all arbitrary you know uh, language and words that we and all of this of course is an attack on essence so what's the problem here um is this true <laughs> well <laughs> we immediately fell into the first logical problem with all this thought is that if you are making it all relative and that you're saying truth is relative and that uh, it goes from person to person and that what every person thinks he's saying the truth therefore no truth is existent or is possible absolute truth or or an essence of something that just simply means that what you're saying is untrue <laughs> what you're saying is not truthful what you're saying is just talk and here is the part that I want to add in Islamic thought uh, and uh, there were a group of people called the Bataniya and the uh, Bataniya uh, and the word from the word Batan and Batan means inner uh, so Bataniya is the inner sect or the, the sect of people who interpret text in an inner way. What is this inner way? Um, Bataniya, the Bataniya, they read the Quran and they saw that it is open to interpretation. Like how all Muslim scholars saw that. And uh, when they saw that, they looked at it and they said, okay, we have the literalists, Al-Hanabila, and these guys take it literally. They take it without metaphor, without symbolism, and without any kind of uh, allegorical way of interpreting it. And therefore, um, they saw that, that's one way, and then they saw people like Shafi'iyah and Ahnaf and others who did a little bit of allegory, a little bit of uh, interpretation, you know, they, they took concepts from the Quran, they generalized it some... Uh, hermeneutical kind of um, interpretation, some phenomenological kind of look into it. They they used their mind, their own mind, their aql, their, their intellect in reading the Quran and not just taking it literally. And uh, of course, uh, the Hanabila, the literalists, they did not like that. They really thought that doing that was not taking the text as it is. But there's a problem, of course, the Quran can't be understood just literally because there are things that are allegorical in it metaphors that are used in the Quran that necessitate the um, use of aql or the mind and the Quran itself tells uh, the Muslim to use his intellect while reading the Quran and to always uh, understand the world around him and not just take it as is 
So the Botania, when they saw that um, there's that view and then there's that middle view, they decided to take it to the very extreme. Um, kind of like what Derrida said. They said that, well, the outer meaning of the text, this is kind of close to what the Shia do as well. They said the outer meaning of the text is just a veil. It's just a veil and there's hidden meaning. There's inner meaning. And uh, the inner meaning um, is determined by also power and the inner meaning different by power therefore anything written in this text concerns power and if it concerns power then it concerns political leaders it concerns who rules it concerns the imam therefore the botaniya um decided to interpret the Quran and every single verse in it even the most un unrelated to their topic that it is about their leader and that they must follow their leader they must follow the political head the political figure and the botany were very dangerous they were fought they started uh, they tried to have to start revolutions I can't tell I can't tell you exactly when those were, you guys can go do your research uh, and, and, and investigate more into it. But the Botania, the Botania sect, the inner sect, the sect of the inner meaning, decided that, well, there is the literal meaning. There is the meaning that is in between metaphorical, allegorical, but all these are false, you know, because we use our intellect uh, combined with the very text or we just use the text without using our intellect they therefore said no we are just going to use our intellect uh in a very i don't know if that's the right word sophistist or uh, with sophistry uh claiming that um uh the eternal truth is actually um about the political figure and about power it's not about uh, whatever particular uh, meaning the Quran is trying to tell us. So how is this related to to Derrida? I alluded to that a little bit while I'm talking. Um, Derrida is actually a state philosopher. Him and Foucault and everybody who tried to deconstruct text and deconstruct uh, the meaning of it and to say that interpretation is impossible um, and that uh, essential and the real meaning is just uh, always relative these people inside on the inside internally internally even if they say they're not political even if they say they don't care about politics because politics is always related to meaning and it is in any philosophy, in any kind of intellectual talk or intellectual speech coming out from an individual, a human being, politics does come about within that very uh, speech. And um, with that being said, um, Derrida, with this deconstruction, is actually... Um, because of course he is following in the footsteps of power and that force 
is what matters, um, is a state philosopher. Because if you deconstruct texts, if you deconstruct texts that tell you there's a transcendental truth, justice, you know, justice that is eternal and objective, and that is and should be followed, then you move truth towards power, therefore towards the political leader and his application of this power uh, ultimately without any boundaries. And uh, therefore the botania really teach us a lesson. They teach us that in this attempt towards the construction text, to deconstruct essential texts and to um, uh, take apart their meaning and to say that meaning is relative, they on the other hand are justifiers of oppression and of force without justification or what they claim to be is no justification. Uh, this, alhamdulillah, this is my uh, look into the sophists of postmodernism. Uh, they are returning to the pre-Socratic age, the age before truth and rationality. To go back to force, dominion, and uh, natural kind of uh, let's call it religion or philosophy of life. Uh, but in that philosophy of life, uh, when we compare it to what uh, the Kalam theologians in Islamic uh, in the Islamic world during its golden age, um, during its uh, intellectual age. They have faced the botania, the inner interpreters of, of text who, who went and decided to look into the text and to discard all essential meaning that is there within the very grammar, the very text, the, 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 the outer text and to dispose of it, to dispose even of the middle path that doesn't just take the literal interpretation but takes both the literal and the allegorical and decided to go towards the nihilistic extreme but of course at least they were a bit more honest they decide they said that it is all interpretation is to justify power and therefore to justify the imam or the leader the religious leader and with that they were uh, vicious they were uh, uh, tyrannical they uh, were deceivable, uh, de uh, deceiving. They were very deceiving, and um, they used um, texts to justify their murders and to justify their political movements. Um, and this is a danger that we need to think about um, with this kind of thought, and to remember the transcendental and to not um, adhere to sophistry that Plato and Aristotle tried to fight back with uh, force and to um, what, what God um, sent prophets and uh, other saints and um, good people to counter in order to have justice and in order to have a consensus and in order to have understanding between humanity. Thank you very much. That's all I got.